Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune at TCO Performance Center in Egan. Thank you for waving. I haven't done that in a few weeks. I figured I'd bring it back. Literally nobody else in this. Nope. What, is, what size is this room? Eight by it's like a ten, cubicle. ten by four room that we're in, this closet. Yeah. The uh, media closets at TCO Performance Center that are about as big as the individual lockers for players. We're going to talk about a lot of those players some of whom are playing Thursday night in the Vikings preseason opener, many of whom are probably not playing. We'll get into who's playing, who's not, what we're looking for, what we can learn this preseason about this very young team that Mark Wilf, the Vikings co-owner, just talked about. Uh, Ben, when he did this press conference on Tuesday night, he opened with, I'm very excited to see the young guys out here Yep. because this is a very young team. Um, Perhaps we should start with what we heard from the owner of the team. He spoke for the first time since March. Yeah, I believe so. I think the first time he would have talked since the owners' meetings when, uh, I mean, he typically talks there and here, I think is about it. it. It's generally once at the owners' meetings and once kind of at the beginning of training camp, I, unless there's some other um, kind of newsworthy thing that comes up that would dictate something. It's generally about twice a year that you hear from him. Yeah, he's excited to see this young team. He's excited to see Kirk Cousins in 2023. Because obviously he's in a contract year and the Vikings quarterback situation beyond this year, they don't know. Um, But Mark Wilf didn't have a whole lot to say about that other than they're excited to see what happens with Kirk this year and that both sides are, I think he said, still talking. Yes, he did. He said that the discussions continue as they do with all all sorts of things. The, The we look forward to seeing Kirk in 2023 has been kind of the talking point, I think, since they changed the contract around and added the void years rather than doing something long-term. I feel like he went on maybe Good Morning Football and said something similar to that too, kind of right before the owners' meetings. That I think very clearly is let's not say anything one way or the other that tips our hand in terms of we are signaling to everybody that we're moving on or signaling that we want Kirk back badly enough that his camp says, oh, really? Why don't you uh, put an offer in front of us that shows exactly how bad you want him? Uh, so I, I'm sure that the talking points and the things he is kind of being coached to say there are, are you know, stick to 2023 and then we'll let it figure get played out after that. I think that's kind of where they are. I mean, it, I I generally do think this could go either way. I think there is a scenario where they sign Kirk Cousins, especially if he takes another step in the offense and gets a little bit of a chance to measure the Vikings offers against what he might find on the market. And I think there's also a chance that they move on if, especially if they feel like they can move up and get the quarterback of the future that they want to build around. I think there's a decent chance they would do that as well. This draft is going to be quarterback heavy at the top. Everybody thinks, with Caleb Williams and Drake May. Now, there's a lot of things that could happen between now and the end of the college football season. But that's the way it looks at the moment. Two quarterbacks that look like they're going to go 1-2 and look like solid professional prospects. The problem with that is you have to get up high enough to get them. And that, I think, will be a challenge based on the fact I don't think they're going to be picking that highly. I think Kirk but, Cousins, independent of the Vikings' future, is going to do everything possible to make sure they're picking nowhere near there. Yes, <laughs> that that is going to be the problem. Because if you have pick number, uh, well, I, 
let's say, like, we'll take the pick numbers they have held, I think, more often than any other in our times covering the team, 19 or 23. They've had 23 like five times. Um, say it's 19. Let's let's be generous. You have to go. You're probably gonna have to go 19, and then next year's one, and then maybe the 2026 number one as well. I would think, and yeah. maybe something else. I don't know. Yeah, the market. Be a lot. Yeah, the last time someone made a big jump was the Niners. They had to do three ones. That year's yep. 12, and it was 12. 12, not 19 or whatever. Yeah, 12 yeah. plus two additional ones to jump to three, not even one or two. Yeah. So it, I just it, it's a very interesting uh, kind of choose-your-adventure uh, kind of situation. The flexibility that they have can be good or bad, depending on what comes out of it. You would hope the teams picking one and two are the same teams that picked one and two this year because then they won't need a quarterback and maybe in a position to deal. Yeah, if it's not, the Panthers or the Texans or the Colts, uh, that would be the thing you'd be hoping for. Not Jonathan Gannon's Cardinals? No, no, that would not be what you would want to see up top if that's who how you're hoping to go about it. Or Todd Bowles Buccaneers who are coming to US Bank Stadium on week one. They need a quarterback long term. Like the how your use of the word or there. Did you see the the thing today with no, uh, their depth chart? They listed their starting quarterback as Kyle Stroud or Baker Mayfield. Oh Trask? Um, yeah. Kyle, Kyle yeah. Trask or Baker Mayfield. I've seen that before. Mike Zimmer did that one year and I can't remember what position it was, but must be a Parcells thing. Yeah, I saw him do it once, and I can't. Rem- I wish I could remember. It wasn't quarterback, obvious. Well, it might have been. Shoot, <laughs> it might have been Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford or something. For all I remember, but um, it probably wouldn't have been that. But I do remember that. That's yeah. So horrible team coming into U.S. Bank Stadium Week One, and I was trying to use that as a transition to say the Vikings. The other thing we heard from Mark Wilf is the Vikings want to honor Bud Grant. Uh, throughout the season, in week one with helmet decals, they'll have patches all year. Uh, Mark Wolf talked about that. They are bringing back the classic jerseys yes. that you asked about. He said those were already in the works before Bud's death, but you know why not add that on to the honoring of the era that he coached in? Yeah, and they, it sounds like they'll put a patch with his signature on the uniforms, and then they're going to wear helmet decals all throughout the season on their regular helmets, it sounds like. Now, to me, there is a, a a way to accentuate this even more if you want this to kind of pay homage to the era that Bud coached in. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, began their time in the NFL in the NFC Central with the Vikings. What better way for the Buccaneers to pay their own tribute to Bud Grant than to show up in the Bucko Bruce creamsicle jerseys Let's make the whole thing feel like it's <laughs> the Metrodome in 1982. <laughs> we don't need to go that far necessarily, but you know, indoor stadium, yeah. classic jerseys. Why not? I I want to see Bucko Bruce on the field September 10th at US Bank Stadium. I'm starting the movement right here, right now. Let's I, make this happen. I really wish the NFL didn't mandate that these things had to be done like 18 months in advance because yeah. it feels like that's how far out they like. Alternative helmets need to be approved like in March the year before that you actually want to use it. They don't have Bucko Bruce like in regular rotation anymore. When's the last time you saw the Bucks wear it? I have not seen it in a while. I wish they would because it's a great uniform. Oh, yeah. There are... Doesn't it doesn't bring back to an era of greatness for them? No, but. no. It, it the unless you're talking about perhaps the greatest quote uh, ever uttered by an NFL coach, 
Um, John McKay was the original coach of the Buccaneers. <laughs> he got who, of course, went winless their first season in the NFL. Uh, he got asked after a game, what did you think of your team's execution? He responded, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> That's right. So they were that. great in that sense. <laughs> Not many other senses of the word, but great uniforms. Uh, Tom Brady has played for two teams that ditched great uniforms in the 80s for, you know, they're fine now. They, for pewter or silver or whatever. but Those those new Bucks, quote-unquote new Bucks uniforms that they unveiled a couple years ago, I think they've changed them maybe a couple yeah. times since then, were horrific. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm thinking more like the Derek Brooks pewter ones. Those were fine. But, no, the creamsicle ones are the best. Also, this is a tangent, but I just saw it the other day. It was there were walking by, and I just wanted to shout it out while we're on this subject. Minneapolis Washburn. Bravo for the... The Washburn Millers with the flour mill hat in the three-point stance. It was like Pat Patriot, but with the Washburn Millers flower hat. Very nicely done. I they were, they were all walking by. I was like, that is an outstanding logo, like an alternate logo for that school. I, I like their blue and orange colors anyway. I drive by that school a lot. My kids were going to end up going there before Minneapolis shuffled everything around. But the, uh, the alternate logo they had there, I, I was a very big fan of that. So whoever came up with that in Minneapolis Washburn uh, I salute you because I thought that was outstanding we uh, bait and switched everybody this is the Minneapolis preps podcast now we are going to talk all prep sports well, hey, <laughs> our preps podcast two big numbers that's so that's true that's not where people from across the globe are coming to listening about the Vikings here though Minneapolis and- Washburn very good cross-country team it's good to know. Southwest is good, too. Do they use the logo as well? I suppose they do. They must. Yeah, I don't know if they had the football thing. But, yeah, the Millers, it's it's because the Washburn Mill was, of course, the one that burned down and became Mill City Ruins. So little, we get, you get Minneapolis history. You get some preps talk. You get me talking about cross country, which I'm sure four people care about. And then you get, you know, old uniforms. We haven't derail the podcast in a while so we especially 10 minutes in no yeah. <laughs> no i mean usually we go a lot sooner so this is this is like a moderate derail. we'll get it back on track here we will we will i'll try to pull it back on track with the vikings opening the preseason on thursday night in seattle it's a nine o'clock local tip yes. i should say tip kickoff yes. now they're not going to play basketball although we can get into a tangent on who would feel the best basketball team we could do that um, I, I, that might be more interesting than what we're going to see Thursday night, yeah. but you diehards are going to get to see Nick Mullins probably start with Jaron Hall mopping up. Um, I don't expect many starters to play. However, Jordan Addison did say he will play. Kevin O'Connell said he'll play. You will see probably a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys. Ben, I guess the fair question is this is a younger team. So theoretically there won't be 30 people resting. Yeah. There might only be 20. Yeah. I think that is going to be interesting to watch because, it cuts, I think, two directions here. You have fewer veterans that you are worried about resting, probably, and you have more young players that you need to figure out where they fit. I think especially on defense, where we've seen Brian Flores use a lot more sub packages than either Ed Donatel or Mike Zimmer used to use, and that means, I think, that there are a lot of guys trying to figure out roles and trying to fight for jobs. So do you go play... Makai Blackman, Caleb Evans, I, I think you're going to have to because you just don't know yet if those corners are your starters or if you're going to use them in certain packages or, or how you're going to play it. I think there's a lot of those types of players that could be big factors on this team that they probably will still want to see. It's an interesting discussion because typically I think this is going to be a team that errs 
extremely on the side of caution in the preseason. We saw this last year, and I think there's the fact that they have two sets of joint practices in the next two weeks gives you even more reason to think that they won't play anybody that matters. If there was anybody who thought they would, based on what they did last year, I think there's even less reason to believe that they'll put anybody of significance on the field in the preseason. The interesting thing here, though, is that they have a lot of players that I would assume they still need to evaluate in some of these game things, and maybe they figure they can get enough of that done in joint practices, but I would think in at least some of these cases you'd want to see these guys on the field in preseason games. Yeah, I would imagine that we're not going to see maybe even new additions. Maybe we're not going to see perhaps like Josh Oliver. No, or Byron Murphy probably. Yeah, veterans. But I would expect Brian Osamoa maybe to have to get out there. A guy who only played in three games in terms of significant defensive snaps at the end of last year and seems to be kind of gripping a full-time role maybe in this defense. If not a starting role that comes off the field in some packages or whatever, we'll have to see what his role is. But Guys like that, you mentioned a Caleb Evans. I wonder if Josh Metellus in the new system might get in there as well. Yeah, I could see some of that unless they're trying to disguise some of how they've used him. Um, now, we've all talked about it enough that I'm sure teams have, you know, to whatever extent they mine the clips for those types of things. And I, the Vikings certainly believe they do. So I, I'm sure that secret's out. Um, but point. I don't expect uh, Marcus Davenport no. to play. Obviously, not Daniil Hunter. Harrison Phillips, no, I wouldn't think. Jordan not, Hicks. Not Harrison Smith, obviously. So it, it's probably going to be a Lewis scene starting with um, – I, I don't even know if they'd start Cam Bynum. I don't think they would. Maybe it's would a Metellus and scene game. Yeah, I mean, Cam Bynum played every regular season snap last year. I would think that his role is pretty secure. Um, now – it's a new defense. They may have some things they want to see, but I would tend to think we won't see him. It's certainly possible we do at some point. I wouldn't think you'd see him in the first one. And I guess with Addison, he you know, obviously they want to get a look at the rookie probably, but they don't have a lot of receivers healthy no. to play. No, that's so, true. And then they might need him just to take just up a, wing quor- a quarter. Yeah, <laughs> just to like, hey, you got to go out there with Nick Mullins, not because we necessarily love it, but because Tristan Jackson's down, Jalen Naylor's down. Um there was another one I thought. Well, another one of the rookies has been on IR, Malik yeah. Knowles. Um, but they just don't have a whole lot at that position. Healthy, and obviously we're not going to see Jordan Addison – or excuse me, Justin Jefferson or K.J. Osborne. Um, but we'll, we'll see Addison. We'll see Brandon Powell, Jalen Rager probably. Um, that'll probably be your starting three, yeah. I would imagine. Run um, the ball, KOC. I'm on a tight deadline, <laughs> and I got a red-eye flight back. What what do you, when you're there sitting as the only credential Twin Cities beat writer yeah, or media member think, at the right? game? It's weird. Uh, because it's such a late and expensive trip. Um, well, that's my guess. Who knows? But it's it's a preseason game. Not for the Star Tribune. What, true. What are you going to be looking for, though, to learn and Marvel gen- matters to Minnesota all day, every day. That's our <laughs> that, slogan, right? Did that, I get that right? I think that's our logo. Okay, good. Uh, what are you going to be looking for from that press box? I will be, I think, looking for a lot of how the defense fits together. I am curious to see kind of – I don't know that we're going to glean a ton in terms of like who they like better than whom in the depth chart, but I, I do want to see how some of these corners look in games. I, I want to see um, how they do in 
the ability to play within the confines of the rules. I mean, we have seen that from young corners over the years. We were, I think, I don't remember who I was talking about this with, but the famous Trey Wayne's Hall of Fame game uh, when he was a rookie, and he he got flagged three or four times, like in the first couple series. It was like them throwing deep, illegal contact, pass interference. It was like I think I think Ben Roethlisberger played a little bit, and they just kept testing him on you know Ben Roethlisberger howitzer arm sort of deep shots and I think it was Martavis Bryant that burned him and uh, drew a lot of penalties so yeah that is one of those things I think with young corners that you want to see is if refs are going to call stuff and they do in the NFL they call a lot of illegal contact a lot of pass interference how do those corners fare in that regard I think that's worth watching um, can they get a pass rush independent of Daniil Hunter and Marcus Davenport. How does Andre Carter look if he's playing after he's come off the pup list? Do you see anything from DJ Wanham, Patrick Jones, if those guys are going to play? Um, Ivan Pace has gotten some attention here and certainly has gotten some run with the number ones. Yeah, he'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a yeah. lot of those guys, yep. uh, Jaqueline Roy, I'm, I'm curious to see. I think he, there's a lot of those. He that, missed practice uh, Monday, last time we yeah, watched. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if he's even available. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, but, but you brought up Makai Blackman. Yep. Yeah, I think, as well. I think a lot of those guys, Jay Ward probably too, a lot of those draft picks that they tried to get to fortify the defense – we get a chance to see what those guys look like. And again, it's it's going to be not a specific game plan for the Seahawks. It's going to be very vanilla. They won't want to tip their hand on anything. So there's only so much you can draw from it. But a lot of that is important. And I think on the other side of the ball, Jaron Hall, first time out. I mean, that I think is going to be a lot of you'll, – you'll probably read a fair amount about that in your uh, Star Tribune this weekend with regard to how he looks the first time through because – it is a different thing. Kevin O'Connell talked about this earlier this week. It is a different thing when you are executing and operating an offense in a game than it is in a practice situation. Just the temp, the intensity goes up a little bit. The tempo has to be a little bit faster. That's where we've seen you know young quarterbacks. That's where we saw Kellen Mond really struggle. It's just being able to execute things when everything's a little bit faster in a game. And I think seeing how Jaron Hall handles all of that is – certainly going to be worth watching you were in Vegas last year when Kellen Mond had his only moment yep. with the Vikings where yep. I think he threw a touchdown to Albert Wilson yep had a um, bad first half and came back in the second half with a couple touchdowns that's right it was a very bad first half I did forget about that so it's because we ran our Kellen Mond feature uh the day of that game because I was very adamant I want this story published before he plays a game because it <laughs> there's a chance it's not going to look very good after he plays a game and then he was terrible the whole first half and then threw a couple touchdowns. I was like, okay, my hands are clean. We're moving on. <laughs> and then it didn't uh, really work out from there. The first half was more indicative of who, of who he was at that yeah. point yep. as a quarterback than that second half. So we'll see how much you can really glean from it as fans, as reporters, whatever. But um, it will be interesting to see Jaron Hall get his first reps because honestly in practice, Jaron's been honest about this. It's been a struggle for him as a fifth-round pick coming in trying to run KOC's offense, trying to do all the things, because he's talked about flipping through calls at the line of scrimmage, having to then understand, oh, yeah, what is my drop off of this changed call? Because before I was thinking seven, now it's five. How fast do I go through the reads? Oh, no, here comes, you know, DJ Wanham or whatever. So he's still Here's a defense that brings a lot of pressure that – I may not be able to decipher yet because they disguise it really well. That I mean, a defense too that is not as vanilla in practice yes. as it will be yes. in the games. Yep. So they are bringing stuff in practices that he won't have to see in the games from anybody. I mean, frankly. Kirk Cousins has looked flustered by it at times. 
That's true. Yeah, that's true. So I'm very interested to see Hall in action. How natural does he look? And then also, obviously, Jordan Addison, Makai Blackman, these top rookies um, that they've got. So, And if a Caleb Evans does play, this is going to be his first game action since when? Uh, the Jets game was his last action last year. He had two concussions in like the last month that he played. It was He started, I think, in Buffalo, got hurt, and then started against the Jets, got hurt. Both concussions in both of those games. This would be his first action since that Jets game last December 4th. And he's being asked, you wrote a story on him for this Sunday, he's being asked to jump That's into a... why I have all this committed to memory. <laughs> he's being asked to jump into a really big role. Yep. Yeah, he is. I mean, it's... And he's gotten a lot of time with the ones, and it is a job in this defense where you are being asked to play a lot more man coverage, you are getting less safety help than you've had, certainly in last year's defense. It's going to be more cover zero, cover one kind of yeah. stuff, where it's, hey, if you get beat deep... It's going to be a problem. It's on you. It's on you, and there's nobody to help you. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember you'd hear Mike Zimmer talk about um, you should never see one of our corners running downfield by himself because if that happens, it usually meant that a safety blew deep contain. I, I don't think that's going to be the case here. I mean, there will be times where the corners are running downfield by themselves which means you have to be able to cover deep you have to be able to run with receivers and I think the more important thing for Evans is if they're making double moves on you you have to be able to get in and out of those breaks and I think that's the big question with him is how good is he going to be I mean his athletic numbers at the combine were really really good in everything but I think the three cone drill so a lot of this lateral stuff is the big question with him certainly has you know they've talked about it. Terrence Jones talked about him as a height, weight, speed guy. He's six two, ran sub four five forty, has the size and the and the deep speed that you want. But how does he do when receivers are giving him, you know, a, a stutter move or, or something like that? Like if it's a stutter go or you know a double move somewhere, is he getting beat on some of those things? I think that is worth watching, especially in a defense where there's not as much of a safety net. Pardon the pun. I also want to see just how does he press because he never got to do it. Yeah, yeah, like that's these, true. These corners didn't no, you're right. get to play a lot of man techniques as as under Ed Donatel on the shell stuff. And Caleb Evans, I think, I don't know, was it in your story where he said, like, this is an aggressive defense and that's how defense is supposed to be played yeah. or something like yeah. that? I can't remember where he said that, but I've yeah. heard it recently from him. And But it's new. Like, in the last time he played press might have been outside of sparingly last season. I don't know if he ever did, but, yeah, Yeah. college. Did a lot of it in college, but not much. I mean, there was not really much press at all last year. And In fact, I think that changed right after he got hurt because the Lions game was the game after he got hurt. When they lost that, that was when the calls for a more aggressive defense started to get a little more – direct uh from kevin o'connell so that was when they started to give patrick peterson i think a little more leeway to press and and get up on receivers a little more than he'd been doing they wanted to take the air out of the coverage take the air out of the coverage was the phrase yes as kevin o'connell said many times um but it's all new for him in terms of the style and system in the nfl that to to line up week one and press mike evans is going to be an animal that he's never faced yeah that's true i mean and that's a that's a guy that i mean people don't probably give mike evans his due all of the time but he's been awfully productive for a long time and he's a big physical receiver um he doesn't have tom brady throwing the ball anymore but 
he is still going to be able to win matchups based on his size and length and, and just power off the line of scrimmage. That's not a guy that is a terribly easy matchup to start with if you are trying to establish yourself as a physical corner. You say that Caleb's um, been getting a lot of uh, first-team reps. It seems like almost all of them. Yeah. I don't think they – I think that's the starter. Like, who's the backup plan? We've already seen Jawan Williams, a veteran who came in from New England, get relegated to the second team in favor of Makai Blackman for that third role. Brian Flores, like all coaches, wants to tell you don't look too much into that. But um, I talked to Cam Bynum earlier this week, and he said they don't just throw guys out there. Like, you got to know what you're doing. And Makai knows what he's doing. And this seems like they're going to trust that kid who's pretty small. Byron Murphy's not the biggest guy. Caleb is their biggest corner. Right. Yeah. I mean, he is the guy with the most size. I mean, Andrew Booth is big enough to play the position as well. But he has struggled to stay healthy and doesn't seem like he is as high on their pecking order right now. I mean, one of the things Durante Jones said about Evans when I talked to him a week or so ago for that story is just said, what are you, what has, I think I asked him what has elevated him to the point where he's getting the looks that he is. And he immediately said consistency. Hmm. We are, we know what we get with him. We, we know we have some things that he'll do repeatedly that we can count on. And I think when you have so little experience in that room, especially at the cornerback position, any shred of we can count on this to be here on a fairly regular basis, I think is going to go a long way. I think so too. And I'm also really interested to see once week one happens, and this is beyond the preseason stuff because we're not going to see it, what is their main nickel package going to be? Yeah. Is it going to be three corners where you're trusting a rookie third rounder and black right. get on the field? Or is it going to be the three safety, safety stuff that we've yeah. seen so much? But then Byron Murphy's not playing the inside role that every coach has talked him up as like, no, we brought this guy in here to be our slot. Yeah, and he's corner. played a lot of that. When we've seen them in nickel, it's him moving inside, and then it's Evans and Blackman yep. usually on the outside corner spots. Maybe they'll have different packages for different things. I, I think the big nickel, if you see that package, is going to possibly be Metellus as the quote-unquote nickel corner, yep. um, kind of in that hybrid, almost linebacker role. Um, yeah, I, I You are going to see a difference that way in terms of different sub-packages. We may see some dime probably a little bit more often this year. Um, it is going to be different in that sense of it. Uh, heck, I, I mean, I, I can remember times with the Patriots. I think we're playing a lot of qu- a lot of quarters. I mean, you'd have seven DBs on the field at times in some of the things that they would do. So, if you're going to do all that, though, you have to have guys you can trust, and it gets harder to expand your defensive playbook with all of these packages if you feel like there's a weak link. That as soon as we go to this, they're going to say, "Okay, this guy's in the field. We're going after him." Refresh my memory because we talked to Kevin O'Connell yesterday, and I remember our columnist, Chip Scoggins, was sitting in the crowd, and he had literally a roster with him. And he asked Kevin O'Connell, he goes, Kevin, I'm looking at this roster, and I see a lot of R's and 1's on yeah. your secondary chart. Uh, what did O'Connell have to say about that? I don't quite remember. I think he said, like, well, that's not too different than the rest of the league in terms of our depth. But the unspoken part is, well, that's also the same for your starters right yeah. now. Because a Caleb Evans is – uh, in his second year, yep. right? So yep. he's got the one next to his name, yep. his one-year experience. And Makai Blackman is obviously a rookie. And Byron Murphy is your only corner on, on under contract on the roster, the only Vikings corner with an NFL interception. 
Jawan Williams has not had one. None of the other guys in that room have had one. They have one corner who's made an NFL interception. I don't think that's the norm, with all due respect no, to Mr. No. O'Connell. It, it is, it's a tough way to live. It, I mean, we've seen that at times over the years here. Some of the times where they, I mean, the one that comes to my mind immediately is when they cut Antoine Winfield in 2012 and said, we're going to make Josh Robinson or Nickel. That was a disaster uh, to the point where they tried to get Antoine Winfield back after the London game, or maybe even before the London game, I think, because they were zero three at the start. But that was a mess. So that did not go well, and that was that was the I think worst scoring defense in Vikings history before Mike Zimmer's yes twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. I, I think remember. it was twenty twenty. 2020 and 21 were pretty close together. In I can't terms remember which one was worse because 2020 was the Camara year where he set the record with yep. six touchdowns yep. and they're starting Blake Lynch and yes. all these guys. And it was just had, Holton Hill was starting at yes. one point. Yeah, they had no pass rush. Um, anyway, regardless, that's that 2013 year where they had to redo the secondary was really bad. But I think everybody would hold Brian Flores at a higher standing as a defensive mind than even our favorite Leslie Frazier. Yeah. Um, in terms of what he can get out of players right away. So this will be a heck of a test for Brian Flores to figure out how to get the most out of the secondary and then how much of those guys are you going to see in the preseason because of how young they are. Yeah. You might very well see all these corners but Byron Murphy playing because they got to figure out how these guys can handle when the lights come on and how different these things are. Here is the O'Connell quote in question in response to Chip Scoggins yesterday. He said, I don't think that – Necessarily think that as far as depth goes, that's an outlier within the NFL. I think there's a lot of teams trying to develop. That's a huge word here. How can we put these guys in game-like situations out here and in the preseason games to really find out where they are in their role to what they're going to become as NFL players and the receivers and DBs? You know, they tend to be, especially the younger guys tend to be really talented and have certain skill sets that they're here for a reason. But at the same time, you want them to develop as a complete player. That's what a guy like K.J. Osborne has done from the time he got here. That's what we hope continues to happen on the defensive side with a Caleb and Booth and even Makai as a rookie where we can truly see how all these pieces fit, but each guy is kind of on their own path and they control ultimately where that goes. But coaches challenge those guys on a daily basis. What are we doing to not just talk about development, but make it a point within our organization that it's a foundational thing that we okay, all okay. live and breathe. The unspoken is the <laughs> end of that uh the, the, the unspoken part there that Quasi has uh, said with his roster moves is that, did you see what we inherited? And did you see how I kept none of the corners that was yeah. drafted by the previous yeah. GM? Uh, Cam Dantzler is uh, not here. We, he's also not on uh, Washington or Buffalo yes. or any of the teams that have signed him since. Uh, nice guy, but he just couldn't play a lick or couldn't no. handle the men, the mental side of things yeah, on the field. A lot of it. Um, he struck me more as a Xavier Rhodes type where you were just going to have to have him play man yep. and, and cover a guy yep. and, you know, learn that. And that's why Xavier was as good as he Don't was. Let your guy catch the ball as Zim used to say. Yeah. It just kind of took the thinking away from Xavier and let him just follow guys. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, they don't have any corners that were added to this team before 2022. No. So they're working from a blank slate and you talk about development, uh, Kevin O'Connell, they are going to need it in droves for Brian Flores to come on top and, and really turn this defense around. They may need something more like revelation than yeah. just development. I mean, you need guys to hit quick. Because here's the other thing with this. Week two, Jalen Hurts on the road. Week three, Justin Herbert. Week five, Patrick Mahomes. I'm trying to remember who week four. Well, Bryce Adam, Young. Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. Watch out. Revenge game. Um yeah, so you're going to see 
Hurts, Herbert, Mahomes in the first five weeks of the season. So you'd better come out ready to win the games against Baker Mayfield and Bryce Young if he's kind of going through growing pains. But maybe he's not. He was the number one pick for a reason. It is not as bad of a quarterback slate that they're facing as a whole than what we've seen in some of these years. But the start of it is very tough. And you are going to need guys to know what they're doing very quickly to get through that. Or they're going to have to win every game 50-40. to 40. There could be a lot of that. And with Jordan Addison wowing fans and teammates alike on the field in training camp, uh, let's talk about the, the wide receiver pecking order right now because I think there's a lot of talk you know, online, as there is, about how this is going to shake out. What kind of role is he going to have? K.J. Osborne's very trusted. He's very well-rounded in terms of a blocking and, and obviously uh, as a receiver. Um, but you see Jordan Addison move on the field. It doesn't take expert X's and O's guys to tell. Even the, the dummies like us can sit there and go, this guy moves different. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Matthew Collar and I were talking about that on his podcast yesterday, and the phrase I used was efficiency of movement. He's just everything he does looks like it's supposed to, or that it's exactly what he's trying to do. There's there's not any wasted motion. He's just very fluid. I, I compared it to a, a pitcher that everything looks easy, and then you look at the radar gun and it's ninety six. It's like he looks like he's almost just playing catch. I mean, I you know I've covered baseball for five years and covered Steven Strasburg as as a rookie with the nationals and and he was kind of that where the ball would fly out of his hands it's like 99 every pitch i mean it was sort of that type of thing where the way he moved and the way he used his body just looked very seamless very effortless and that's certainly what you see with jordan addison you see that with justin jefferson and i think a lot of ways too where it's adjustments in midair to the ball it's uh, being able to run routes fluidly and not have to slow down in and out of your brakes. You know, he's done all of those things very well. And I think is also shown that he can take contact a little bit better. I mean, that was the big question with him. So far, he's done that really well. And I think, you know, you're going to continue to have to keep an eye on that as it goes into the season. But he's been impressive. And I think probably even more so than I was expecting him to be coming into this thing. He's certainly been one of the highlights of camp. Yeah, he's. I caught up with Jordan. I mean, well, we both did, but I was talking about football yesterday, and he had mentioned because um, O'Connell praised his run blocking and just his willingness to use that word to kind of stick it in there and, and his, his face in there and um, get hit guys like Harrison Smith or whatever. There's not a ton of contact going on in practices, yeah. so you can't really tell how great the execution is, but you can tell at least he's in the right place. Yeah, He's willing, whatever. Um, however, he's the roster's lightest player at 175 pounds. He is the youngest player at 21 years old. Yeah, like 10 pounds on me. Good grief. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> And so Jordan said yesterday... I couldn't do it. Jordan said yesterday to me, everybody's writing me off or counting me out because I'm so small. I'm trying to show that the smallest guys are the toughest. Uh, no one calls Tyler Lockett necessarily a phenomenal blocker, yeah. but that's kind of the comp I see where like he's got to be a guy who can just avoid contact like yeah. you're talking about, get out of bounds, get down, and extend that career for a guy who's pretty slight. Yeah, it's not like Cordero Patterson where... He's coming down the field at 220, and I'll put a shoulder into you. I don't care. I'm, I'm happy to do that. I, you're probably not going to look for that from him. On the run-blocking part of it, what did Adam Thielen used to say? Just get 
run over slowly or <laughs> he said coaches get in the way that's right i can't remember what the context was but yeah he had said yeah coaches just tell us if you're going to get run over at least get run over slowly yeah just kind of be a <laughs> at least a roadblock of some type i think it was something to that effect because famously that was adam's only role on the team in 2016 yeah was to come in and just be that if he was on the field he knew it was kinda, a run teams kind of knew because he was the guy that was willing to to really put his face in there, whereas some of the other receivers, it's like corners, right? A lot of coaches talk about corners like a lot of guys don't like to tackle. Yes. They like to cover. They like to make plays on the ball, you know, show to the crowd. Not a lot of guys like to do the dirty work. And as a receiver, this is an offense where they ask them to do that a lot. Yeah, especially back then when it was Adrian Peterson. (laughs) True. But with O'Connell now, they ask them to do it a lot. And if they're going to put three wide on the field like they seemingly want to do as much as they did last year – they're going to need Addison to play a role in that. Um, I'm sure Osborne's going to be the lead, though, with that. So I am curious to see when they go too wide in the regular season with Josh Oliver or C.J. Ham in there, who is that number two? Yeah. Does Addison, does he eventually play his way onto the field because we can't keep this guy off the field? He's so good. And they're already at the point where they're not considering him for punt returns yes. because of his role on offense. Yeah, Matt, Dan- Matt Daniels told us that today. That was something yeah. of a tell i thought yeah it just shows that they already know like hey we don't even want the chance of this yeah. guy getting hurt yeah. or gassed or whatever on special teams let's just save him uh for offense and i think we're going to get to the end of the year and addison's going to be the clear number two yeah i would agree with that i am interested to see how they line the receivers up though because like you mentioned when they're in three receiver sets they do a lot of what the rams do where it's Put your receivers in tighter splits, and you almost end up using them not not as a tight end, but you play sort of that role where you're almost like a flexed-out tight end that you have to come in and block a, a linebacker or block an edge rusher or at least chip. I mean, there's certainly – you know, Wes Phillips talked about this last year with Cooper Cup that that's kind of the gold standard, at least in terms of what he's seen – of receivers who run block both with willingness and an ability to execute what he's doing. Um, You have to do some of that in this setting because you put receivers in those tighter splits, the nasty splits, I think is the, the football jargon phrase. And you ask them to do that job. So, and maybe there's a little bit less of that with Josh Oliver here this year too, but they're going to be in three receiver sets enough that somebody is going to have to do that. We've seen KJ Osborne do it. I think we've even seen Justin Jefferson do it. Uh, Jordan Addison being asked to do that. How often that'll happen, I'm curious to see. Yeah, I remember Mike Zimmer. See, we talk about run blocking. <laughs> Kevin O'Connell had mentioned earlier this week of not a lot of people talk about receivers run blocking. And it's like, well, I mean, you got to listen to the Access Vikings podcast. Yep. Clearly, Kevin. We take uh, you deep. I do remember Mike Zimmer before they played the Rams one year, uh, Sean McVay's Rams. He talked about how Cooper Cup inserting in the run game creates gaps that is a problem for defenses because we want to scheme these things up where we see the formation with a tight end and a running back and we fit the gaps. Then all of a sudden another guy just flies in in a motion or motions in, stops, and then hits a safety, and it creates a whole problem for us. And that's what O'Connell's obviously brought here. Um, I think with Cup, that was like the – preliminary part of that deep touchdown he had in that game in 2018 wasn't it like he was I think chipping at least at first and they figured he's part of the run fit or at least it was probably it was obviously a play pass but they thought he's not coming through this then he leaks out on that concept on that deep over and then burns well I I don't remember who he burned but 
Um, Anthony Barr was on the receiving end of a lot of that stuff that night by the way they schemed it. But he had a long touchdown, I think, coming out of that type of a concept and used it to great effect. Yeah, I think it was a, a kind of an over-crossing yep. route where, yeah, and Barr, everybody just kind of bit up. Kyle and, Shanahan, Sean McVay special in those deep overs. Yeah, that was a rough game that Sean McVay got his revenge for that 2017 U.S. Bank game where yeah. Zimmer made Goff look silly. Yes. He made everybody look silly. You could tell going into that game that Zimmer knew he was going to make him look silly. I remember that week he was uh, – he had a couple – I think – he did a side session with us on Thursday, like, oh, he's feeling pretty good. In 2017. In 2017, yeah. yes. Yeah, I think he was pretty confident they were going to embarrass them. Yeah. 2018 was that Thursday night game in L.A. at the Coliseum yep. um, where, yeah, Goff threw for, like, at the time it was a career-high 500 a perfect yards. Perfect passer rating, didn't Wasn't he? Was it 500, 465 uh, yards? Like yeah, I think he had – it was 465 and five touchdowns, but I think he had a perfect – I think he had a 158.3 passer rating. Zimmer said something after the game about, like, this is the worst – defense have had in a while that was like the first time he said that before the christmas day alvin Kamara uh finally mea culpa to chris thomason for uh admitting that i have had a bad defense now yeah zim uh zim did not like getting out outdone by the young guns young offensive minds in the nfl no he did uh, not that was a bad day for him and then being uh asked about it by ct i'm sure it was just <laughs> The cherry on the top to a very Merry Christmas. All right. Well, on that note, uh, let's wrap this up because we got a night practice to get to. Thank you all for checking out our work here. Please check out all the Star Tribune podcasts and all of our work at StarTribune.com. We, uh, we got Leslie Frazier. We got Zim. Apologies to Brad Childers. We had to bump you. We ran out of time. <laughs>